and study for a moment or two in the precious piece of the word of John's Gospel. The story is discovered around the pool of Bethesda. It's easier to say Bethesda for some of us, but some say Bethsaida, and equally it is correct to say that. It's translated various ways in the Aramaic. And so you can say either, and it's quite correct. So if you'll turn with me for a moment or two to the fifth chapter of John's Gospel. And as we look at this precious piece of of the Word of God, I want to bring to you the thought that our Lord Jesus is forever loving us as we've just been singing. He loves us with a love that cannot fail. His love is complete. It is constant. It never varies. It never alters. It never turns. It's always the same. Now, let me commentate as I go through this. And tonight I will use the authorized version, but you follow in whatever version you have. We discover that in the beginning verse of verse 1 of chapter 5, after a time, says the NIV, after this, after that Jesus had been healing sick people, after this was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now at Jerusalem, or there is at Jerusalem, by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. Now I don't know if you know but there are some tremendous things that can come out of looking at the numbers in the Bible. For instance, we see, see, see that three is an indication of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We know that seven is a perfect number. We know that six, six, six talks of Satan and the evil Antichrist and the evil spirit. And we know that that is the unholy Trinity. There are seven days in a week we're told of things like that, the perfect number. We discover that there are 69 weeks in which the world has gone through its history and the 70th week, seven again crops up. In the 70th week, there is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel. I believe that we're still waiting to see the dawn of that 70th week. We discover that there is a great concentration. Jesus in Jerusalem, in a place where there are five porches. Not Porsches, porches. And it's interesting to notice that if you go into the Bible and discover numbers, that five stands for mercy and forgiveness. Mercy and forgiveness. And here is this man with many others laying amongst these porches. It's very interesting to discover that this is also called the house of the olive tree. Also it is called the house of mercy. It's kind of interesting. It's a beautiful place. But it's a sad place because there are people there that are very sick and they're waiting for this strange happening of an angel to come down who somehow makes the water move, and the first person in the water is cured. 
After that, nobody is cured. I'm not going to speculate on whether that really happened. I'm not going to even begin to speculate and share with you whether or not it could happen. I just want to bring you on into verse 4 so that you can see the condition. You see, the angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever was first <clears throat> in the water, whoever was first, after the troubling of the water, whoever first stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. But that whatsoever disease he had is implied. It isn't necessarily a fact. Let's look at the list of diseases in verse 3. In these porches lay a great multitude of impotent folk. Some say paralyzed. But the correct, or a more correct way perhaps of saying that is without strength. People without strength. People who for whatever reason had become a people without strength. When I was younger, I thought nothing <clears throat> of lifting weights of all kinds. I thought very little of cutting trees and sawing logs and whatever it was. But as I got older, I found that I didn't have the same stamina, the same strength. It was going from me. But these people weren't necessarily old. They were people that were without strength. Another interesting thing was they were blind. There were people there that were blind, couldn't see, could only fumble around. People that had no way of actually walking in a direction because they couldn't see where they were going or where they had come from. See the condition of these people. They were halt, or in a more up-to-date version of the word, they were crippled. They were incapable of walking. These people had something else going for them. They were withered. Some of these people were withered up. They were shriveled up. Now, we can put modern disease definitions to these expressions, but here is the expression, and we are told of the condition of these people. A person without Christ is without strength in a world that demands strength. Now we call it today, we say there are pressures. There are pressures upon the ministry. There are pressures upon the workloads that we carry in the jobs that we, we seek to somehow get through every day. There are tremendous pressures. And if we don't have more than normal strength, instead of standing we fold. Instead of going on, we stop. And there is a sense in which we, as a people without Christ, are without strength. When we are tempted to do wrong, when we are tempted to go to the left or to the right, when we know very well that we should walk straight on, if we are a people without Christ, we have no strength. You teenagers get lectured. Parents say, where have you been? It's time to be in. Didn't I tell you to get in at such a time and you're late? I'm only three hours late, Daddy. You're late. 
and they check you in. And so you get the impression you should have a card and put it in a slot and the bell should ring and check the time in and the time out and the time back in. You feel as if people are sort of riding herd on you sometimes. Or they're critical. Teenagers, if you don't have Jesus Christ, you'll buckle under the load of criticism. It's a fact. You will become bitter in your heart towards parents, towards older people. You'll become bitter about the generation that's ahead of you or the next but one that's ahead of you. You'll become a little awkward in the presence of that generation. Older people, if Christ isn't the very center of your attraction, you'll see the young men and women that play their guitars and blow their instruments and do all sorts of things at the church. You'll wag your head and you'll say, oh my, church ain't what it used to be. It's lively. And you'll say, it shouldn't be. As one person said to me one day, do you really like, pastor, those twanging guitars? Do you like plonking pianos? Or do you like wheezing organs? It's all the same. It's music. And done to the glory of God, we can all rejoice together. But you'll be offended if Jesus isn't the center of your, your attraction. You'll be without strength. I've sat on dozens of platforms. People come on. One person will sing as if they are some opera star. Another one comes on and wiggles and wriggles like a modern singer. Another one comes on, can't remember the lines, goes absolutely dry, sort of goes, as if he's got no teeth left in his mouth. Another comes on and sings, but the key that he's supposed to be in can't be found on any of the instruments. I've listened and watched, I think, just about everything. And I've noticed this, the congregations squirm and think, oh my. Or if there's somebody they're not sure of, they get all tense. Or if there's somebody they really enjoy, they, oh, they relax and enjoy it. And so the spiritual Bing Crosby's and Frank Sinatra's do their thing. And we rejoice and we're happy. And the no, the no names, the people we don't know, we get all tense about. If there's not a super strength within us, we become a strengthless people. Now it's true that Israel is revealed to us in this piece, of, this piece of scripture, and it's revealed to us in a very real way, for Israel was without strength. Israel was a people that had stopped looking for God, stopped looking for the Messiah. They talked a lot, but they didn't look. It's obvious that this is a great exhibition of a crippled people, ones who were strong, who could take on the armies of the Amalekites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and all the otherites, and they could win. They could take on the Syrians and the Egyptians, as they may do soon again. And they won. They were a fearless people, but now they're content to be corralled by the Roman Empire and to be suppressed by the Roman fist. They were a blind people, and they were a people that were crippled, and so they withered, and they went, they became inverted, they withered up. Now so spiritually can we become. 
And unfortunately, a person without Christ, the Lord Jesus says, he is a blind person. He is like a fellow walking towards the cliff. And soon he will walk right off that cliff. And it's easier to go down a cliff than it is to get up. A blind person will lead blind people. There was a blind gentleman in our church years ago when I was a boy. And he was filled with understanding. He was full of bright ideas. He had tremendous wisdom. And if you didn't ask him, he'd tell you anyway. He would buttonhole people in the church and he would tell them of his great wisdom. And sometimes some of the people were persuaded by this gentleman. And they would follow him. And it was the blind leading the blind. We have to be very careful about this sort of blindness. There is a spiritual blindness. There are people today who are so spiritually blind that they cannot see what God is doing. Do you know God is waiting to bless this church? And I don't believe that I or any other person that's a member of this church is a blockage to that blessing. I believe we are our own problem. I believe this, that God is waiting to bless us and because He is sovereign God, He is asking us to get into gear. He's asking us to get into the right frame of mind. And because He is sovereign, not because we deserve it, He will bless us. Because He is sovereign, He will pour His Spirit upon us. And I expect one of these days to discover that God, in a phenomenal manner, has poured His Spirit upon us. Until then, there is a short-sightedness, argues the Apostle Paul, in some of the believers. Until then, they're short-sighted, they have tunnel vision, they cannot see the blessing of God. Understand, God is going to bless. Sure, it's going to cost us money to refurbish this building. Sure, you want new pews and we need them, and it's going to cost two or three dollars. Sure. We need all nice colors. Sure, we need to brighten up the narthex. Oh, we need to do so much. We need a bulldozer to go mad. And then we could rebuild. There's all kinds of things. However, there are some sitting there and saying, we can't do it because we haven't got anything to do it with. No, no, no. Has not God met every need has not our Father met every need in the history of this church? Has He not met every need of every believer in the, this church and many countless others? The condition is this, that there is a blindness and we need to ask God for vision. For vision. I don't mean some airy-fairy nonsense thing that we see when we're sleeping at night. And I don't mean that we should ask God for some apparition, but for vision. For vision. I can't sing hymns tonight, because I can't hear. I was doing something on Thursday, and my ears went pop, and I haven't heard properly since. It's a funny thing. All of a sudden, I want to hear. 
I don't know what I sound like to you. And all I can tell you is if there's more than two people speaking, if there's an instrument playing, I don't know what in the world's going on. I have to turn and find a mouth. Now I read a mouth. Huh? And if you're like Bill Patty with fungus all over your face, I can't tell what you're saying. I want to hear. Most likely, I'll go to the Rotor Rooter man tomorrow and get it fixed. But in all seriousness now, what we need is vision. It isn't that we can't see, it's what we won't see. It isn't that these people, the Jewish nation, couldn't see, but here was Jesus at the five porches about to speak to this man and they couldn't see he was Messiah. Notice, will you? They were crippled. There is nothing so crippling as unbelief. You may have come into this place this evening as a visitor. We welcome you. But my dear people, whether you're visiting or not, if you're not believing in Jesus Christ, you're a spiritual cripple. You're incapable of walking a marathon. You're incapable of running the race. You're incapable of pressing toward the mark of the high calling of God that is found in Christ Jesus. You're incapable of winning the prize. You're incapable of living by God's standard. You're incapable of standing like a man. You're incapable of being like a soldier. You're incapable of following the captain of salvation. You're incapable because of crippling things. And it's sin that cripples. So you need Jesus. He is the answer to the halt or the crippled. He is the answer to the blind, the person that cannot see. He is the answer to those without strengths. Notice also there are those that are withered, those that have shriveled up. The word is actually in the original language dried up. My father used to sing that baby prunes were like their dad, only not wrinkled half so bad. And scores of Christians are like that. All prunish, not prudish, prunish, wrinkled up and sour because they sit in the pew and they soak in the word. And as they sit and they soak in the word, they sour. We don't need prunes. We need people that are vigorous, and God will bless the people. God will come to the people. One of the most beautiful expressions in all the scripture is found in Mark 1 verse 40 where we read, and it's a beautiful verse, here was a man with leprosy. He hadn't known what it was to be touched for a long time and Jesus touched him. Now if you're amongst these people with these various maladies, if you're a person without strength, if you're a person that is sort of walking around in a blindness without very much vision, if you're crippled so that you cannot achieve, if you've dried up, let the Lord Jesus touch you and you'll find what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins, all our griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to him in prayer. You'll find that will become the song of your soul. The condition is waiting for an angel. The final part of this condition, these people are waiting for something that may never happen. And if it does happen, 
You've got to be able on your feet. You've got to be able to see where to go. You've got to have skin that stretches, not dried up. And you've got to have enough strength to run to be first in the pool. The whole thing is so strange, this whole area that these people are waiting. They're waiting for some miracle when God had already blessed them with Jesus. And very likely, this did not, in fact, happen. But it was a case of a lot of wishful thinking based on something that happened years before. Now then, look at verse 5, for you see a conclusion. A certain, certain man was there that had a, an infirmity 30 and 8 years. What's the significance of that? Well, if you go back into the Old Testament, you will discover that the children of Israel were actually in the wilderness of Zin 30 and 8 years. And Moses led them around in that wilderness until Moses could see the promised land and died and Joshua led them out. You will find a significance. It's well to be thinking. Have I been going around in circles? Have I been wandering in some wilderness of my own making? Have I been wandering around in some something where God has fed me, God has clothed me, God has protected me, God has helped me, but I've been wandering around in my own geographic area. My heart has gone off on tangents, my soul has gone off on tangents, my heart and soul and my life, well, we've lived jolly little Christian lives, but somehow nothing has been achieved. God is waiting to bless us. And the conclusion has to be, I'm not allowed to wander in a wilderness. There is a land filled with milk and honey waiting for us to step into. This is no idle carrot before the donkey's nose. This is a truth from the Word of God. This is a precious promise in the Word of God for everyone who will believe it. Let me turn your attention now to the compassion of verse 6. When Jesus saw this man lying down and knew that he had been there now a long time in that malady or case, he said to him, Wilt thou be made whole? In other words, Jesus saw that this man had an inability to cure or to control or to help himself. What's your life like right now? Well, I imagine some of you have a few spit sessions with teenagers and teenagers to teenagers and parents. I imagine that there are times <clears throat> when there's a breakdown of communication, which is a polite way of saying we shout from one end of the house to the other. I imagine that some of you have experienced all kinds of upsets in your businesses. There's a breakdown in really understanding what's going on. There's the fear of losing jobs and the awful hope of trying to get a new one and hoping somehow it will come along. You really can't help yourself because when you look at yourself, you find you still have this great bent to sin. You have this great longing to walk away from God. God is so holy, God is so precious, that when you look at Him, He's too holy and too precious. 
Let me put that another way. There was a lot of clippings from the yard that I needed to burn. And so on a burn day recently, I stacked up the branches and all the bits and pieces and lit a fire and it started to burn. I was proud of my fire and I kept poking it, but the more I poked it, the more I encouraged it, the hotter it got. And soon it was so hot, I had to move away from the fire. Get right away from it. It was too hot. When I come near to God, He is too holy. I need an extra strength. I need extraordinary strength. When I come close to God, I realize that He sees the beginning and the end. I realize that He knows what was before and what will be after. I understand that God sees all eternity stretched out. And my vision is so small. At the very best, three score years and ten in length. At the very worst, a few more years that will be full of trouble after that. My vision is so self-centered, my vision is so small compared to God's great vision that I could really be classed in the heavenly sense as legally blind. My problem is worse, for I find that God moves with alarming speed. I find that when I pray, He is from heaven in eternity, wherever that may be, and He is right beside me now. I find that when I call upon Him, He is near. And by comparison, there isn't a car, there isn't a vehicle, not even one of these supersonic things that we read about in the Space War series. There's nothing that travels as fast as our Lord. I, by that standard, am a cripple. I am a cripple. When I think of the blessings that God wants to pour out and does at times pour out upon His people, when I see what God can do for a strange tribe in the backwoods of Wagga Wagga land somewhere, why, I'm amazed at the little blessing I receive and I see that God is pouring out blessing. When I hear and read of revivals here and revivals there, when I hear of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost upon some community, I feel that this community, my experience, is surely shriveled, dried up, withered. Now the compassion of Jesus is this. He speaks to us quite plainly and says quite deliberately, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to have the vision that God has? Do you want to be able to travel as God does? Do you want to be able to, to be involved as God is? Do you want the expansion of your life, the expansion of your experience, the expansion of your whole created personality? Do you want it to expand into the blessing of God? Verse 7, we read the complaint. The impotent or strengthless man answered Jesus as we would answer, as some of you are beginning to answer it perhaps in your minds to the very suggestions that I'm making. There's no one to help me. 
There's no one to show me. There's no one to do for me what needs to be done. And he missed, as we miss, very often what Jesus is saying. Listen, verse 6. Wilt thou be made whole? Not do you need help in being made whole. Wilt thou? Do you want to be made whole? And the answer is an evasive one. There's no one to take me to the water to be first. There is no one to give me a shove. There's nobody to put me in. There's nobody to hurl me across the horde of other, the multitude of other people. I'm just Mr. Nobody. How can I be cured or blessed? It's kind of an awkward situation because we find ourselves in it. We find ourselves getting ourselves into a lot of trouble. We often say, you know, God isn't blessing me like he's blessing them. He isn't coming into this church in his phenomenal outpouring of his spirits he did over here or over there. And the reason is, well, we are nearly blessed. We just about get there, but I don't know. It just doesn't seem to happen. There's nobody to give us that extra shove. We need a different pastor. We need a new youth director. We need a new song director. We need new, new leadership. We need new something. My dear people, that's not the answer. Strange though it may sound, it really isn't. It's whether or not we believe God. We believe God. You see, God wants to bless. God is seeking to bless us. He's not even asking us to get our lives into some sort of sequence. He's saying, trust me, come to me, obey me. That's all he's saying. But when, you say, when I say it's all he's saying, it's all he's saying. Our complaint is, we don't have enough money, Lord. We don't have enough energy, Lord. We don't have enough this, Lord, that, Lord, something else, Lord. And while you're waiting to bless us, Lord, there's nobody to give us a hand. There's no church up the street that's got pots of money to help us. And then we sit back and we make our calculations. We say, oh dear, what we could do if all the people gave all their money. What we could do if all the people came to the prayer meeting. What we could do if all the people attended all of the services all of the time. What we could do if we, if we, if we, if we. God is waiting to bless us. And here we sit around Oh, Lord, you don't know, but I'm all withered up and shriveled. I've sat and soaked for years. I can't be joyous. Oh, Lord, you don't understand me, Lord. I've, I used to have a Sunday school class of 40 people, but, you know, that was yesteryear when you could get 40 people in a Sunday school class, and now, well, things aren't what they used to be, Lord. Aren't they? There are people dying without Christ today, as they did 30, 40, 50, 100, 200, 2,000 years ago, and they're still dying. 
And God is still blessing and wants to bless this body of believers. I believe it. I wonder if you do. One does. The complaint. Ah, come on. Listen to the command. Verse 8. Now this is so simple, it's almost ludicrous. Jesus speaks to this man. He says, rise, take up thy bed and walk, or get up and take your mat and go home. Get with it. In the vernacular of our day, get with it, young man. For 38 years, my legs haven't worked. But for 38 years, I've been shriveled up. But for 38 years, I've been living with my blinkers on. Now is the day that God would deal with us. And now is the day that God would give us vision glorious. Now is the day not to stand in our strength, but to stand in his strength alone. Now is the day to stand with the captain of our salvation. Now is the day to stand up like men and quit ourselves like men. Now is the day to run the race and win. We can have our own spiritual, scriptural Olympics. We can fight the fight. We can fence with swords, the two-edged sword. We can run the race. We can walk the marathon. There's no weightlifting. Did you know that? You don't have to build massive sinews and massive muscles when you're a Christian. You really don't. You see, burdens have been lifted at Calvary. Just get with God's program and watch Him bless. It's an important thing the command is, get with it. No gradual or partial getting with it, but get with it. Do it now. Commit now the rest of your life to serve your precious Lord. Will you commit your, your whole person? Will you commit tonight all your resources? Will you commit tonight all your energies to making this place absolutely blossom and bloom with the glory of God if God will so bless you and so come upon you? I'm asking tonight, will you so commit yourself and acknowledge that Jesus has commanded us to get up, get with it, and get on with the job. Will you do that? Oh, there was a great confusion when this happened. They found, the Jews found this young man, verse 9, walking along. Immediately the man rose, was made whole, and took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. Oh my so I suppose in the congregation there's going to be someone sitting there and saying, but pastor, it's not in the Constitution. We really can't do that. We didn't go through right channels. When God strikes our church with blessing, there'll be so many channels we won't be able to get committees built quick enough. Thank the Lord. It's going to happen. I believe. Now there's great confusion, and I expect there will be. Verse 15 tells us they asked. 
And in this verse 9, this happened, the Jews therefore said to the fellow that was cured, it is the Sabbath day, it's not lawful for you to carry a bed. Just isn't right. No, it isn't. It isn't right because it didn't fit. May I ask this congregation with great love, when did God ever fit into our imagination? We are encouraged to fit into his, but not him into ours. You cannot bring God down to size, but you may enlarge into the vision of God. It's kind of important. Look at the confession of verse 11. He answered these people and he said, He that made me whole, the same said to me, Take up my, thy bed and walk. The fellow that said to me, you're made whole. He said, do you want to be? I said, yes. He said, then you got it. I got up. He said, take up your bed and go home. I went. That's why you see me carrying this. What a testimony in this community if we could say, God commanded us. So we did. So we are. God blessed us. So we are doing what a testimony amongst ourselves. Tonight, will you so commit yourself? Now there's some of you who have not been too committed for a while. Several years, maybe your wilderness days are over. Tonight is a night where you can step away and step out into a promised land of blessing. You can step down if necessary up if necessary. You can go up or down and over and back. But God has said this, if we enter in by the door, we can go in and out, we'll find pasture. And Jesus said, I am the door. He indicated he was both the key and the door and the lock. By me, if any man enter in, he shall go in and out and find pasture. But the indication is, if you buy not by Jesus try to enter in, you'll find the door locked and you cannot enter. So there is a challenge in all of this, both to the Christian and the non-Christian. If you're seeking for Christ, then you are truly crippled, truly blind, truly withered, and truly without strength. You have no spiritual strength or stamina to, with, to hold you and to make you strong in this evil world. If you're a Christian and you're stumbling around, then you're desperate, surely desperate for blessing. I covenanted with God some time back. I don't want any pseudo-blessings. Lord, let me see the blessing of God Almighty indelibly imprinted. Let me see the thumbprint of the Holy Ghost upon the hearts of men and women. Let's see the power of God upon the people. But the counterfeit has become the norm for most of us from time to time, and a great tragedy has come upon us. Tonight, can you say in a great confession, He that called me to salvation and made my spirit whole told me 
to go into all the world and teach and preach the gospel and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Tonight, can you say, He who made me whole so that I shall go to eternity with Christ, that I shall live in heaven forever with the saints, I shall live with Jesus forever and ever, the same said to me, Live, and let me bless you as you live. There's no need. There's no need to be without blessing. And God would encourage us. Notice the man who laid for 38 years now had the strength to pick up his mat or rug or bed and carry it. He was no longer crippled. He was able to walk. He was no longer cringing with this multitude of people that were also like he was, incapacitated. He could now walk, and he was no longer just visioning himself to that pool of something that was very suspect and may never happen. He now had a strength that allowed him to believe in Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, and he really didn't understand what he was doing at this particular moment, but he believed in Jesus. He said, He that told me I was whole told me, Get up! His vision changed. It was no longer centered upon that pool. His hopes were no longer on some ethereal arrangement from the heavens where some angel stirred the pool with his finger. It was now fixed upon this Jesus. He said, so I did it. This man was no longer strengthless. He was no longer a cripple. He was no longer blind. And so he was no longer shriveled up. He was now strong and powerful. He was now like a man. He could stand. The Apostle Paul draws us the picture. He says, you men... You brethren, stand. He draws us another picture. He says, be like a soldier, not one of these fancy guards in all their fancy uniforms marching up and down outside some palace. Be a soldier who knows how to control his weapon, who knows how to fight a fight, who knows how to be wounded and not cry, who knows how to be knocked down but get up. He says, I want you to be like a, a runner. A marathon that no one, no one can imagine. It's from the day you trust Christ to the time you enter glory to receive the reward of your run. A lot of people run in a race, argues the apostle, but only one wins. Be that one. Or you may be in training, but be the one that wins. The pictures are endless. And I end with this picture. The apostle says, you know, I'm not one of these fellows that wrestles something I can't, I can't grapple with. I'm not one that boxes with a shadow. I wrestle not against flesh and blood, but I wrestle with principalities, power, and darkness. That's what I wrestle with. I wrestle with Satan. Did you pray before you came out tonight 
God binds Satan. Your child running away from God, do you ask God to bind Satan? Free the child. The child may become the Lord's. Parents came to me once, and they said, Oh, pastor, our youth director isn't the right fellow. I said, Why? Oh, they said, He just doesn't manage our young people. Why? Well, you know, we have on good authority. Why? Well, pastor, our son is going off the deep end. If that youth man had been what he's supposed to be, he wouldn't have done that. And I said something like this. Dear parents, go home and pray that Satan's grasp will be loosed from your child and that Satan will be bound. It's nothing to do with the pastor. The leader is to do with you. Let us covenant to pray together. Let us work together. Let's wrestle with this darkness. Let's wrestle with this principality, this power. Let's wrestle. You'll get hurt. You'll be damaged. And the people in the congregation just won't understand. But if we'll all get to it, we'll all be blessed. Ladies and gentlemen, would you be made whole? Would you be made whole? Are you prepared just to sit for the rest of your Christian life hoping that somebody will stir a pool and somehow you'll stumble in it? Or would you like to be blessed by God and know the blessing of Almighty God upon your life, I tell you, to do that is to discover a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. To do that is to discover that Jesus is a friend, not just of little children beneath a clear blue sky, but a friend of all who come to him, for he no wise will cast you out. Will you be made whole? Hmm? Pray with me, please. Almighty God, it's so encouraging to know that Thou wouldst bless us. It's so wonderfully endearing to know that thy blessing is ours. Thou hast promised it, and it comes. And we're so pleased to be called thy children. We have no right to be called such, with such affectionate terminology, yet we have, through salvation, through redemption, through Christ, through the shed blood, through the power of the Spirit, we do have the sheer joy of knowing Thou art our Lord, our wonderful God. Thou dost deal with our maladies. Thou dost bless us with blessings supernal. Oh Lord, help us that we may be imaginative, understanding what Thou wouldst teach us. Blessed Father, tonight we would say to Thee, we commit our lives, we rededicate these loose lives, these wandering lives to Thee. 
we would say to thee, Lord, Lord, let thy blessing come. For Jesus' sake and his sake only. For that we know that thou wilt not share thy glory with another. In his name, amen.